Does that happen a lot? Do you end up on second dates you don't want to be on because you feel pressured to say no? Not the second date, no. Not necessarily. You know on the first date if she sucks. They know if you suck. You would know if they suck, Berg. Uh, 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 uh. What are you, six? (laughs) (laughs) I can't get over just Gordo just consistently getting trashed (laughs) for 100 episodes. Welcome everyone to S1E1, the show where each week we pick a different sitcom, watch just the first televised episode, and forgetting anything we might know about the future run of that show, rate it and decide if it's a show we want to greenlight or cancel. This week we're going to be talking about Seinfeld. Seinfeld won 180 episodes over 9 seasons on NBC. Today we're talking about episode 1, which was called The Seinfeld Chronicles, originally airing July 5th, 1989. So to get things started, I'm Jay Gags, with me as always... The boys, Gordo, Nick, Joe, and Ferg. What's going on, guys? Hey-o. Hello. Oh, my God. I can't believe I'm in 100 episodes. <laughs> 100 <laughs> episodes, guys. Congratulations. Entire That's podcast a... will put your feet up. Is that a centennial of our 100? It is. Why is it called a podcast? You're not in a pod. <laughs> You're barely casting. Why do people ride buses? Where do they get exact change? <laughs> so yeah, I don't want to dwell too much on the 100 thing because we're going to tackle that on a bonus episode. Wow, we made it to 100 episodes. Without skipping a beat, too. I mean, you can make it to 100 episodes. Anybody could do that without missing a single week for 100 Yeah, we episodes. did it in 100 weeks, yeah. too, yeah, which is awesome. It's pretty crazy. Pretty nuts, yeah. Especially if you know us. <laughs> if you know <laughs> yeah. people. Yeah, it's um, a labor of love, and it, it is a labor at times. I do want to bring up, guys, go to s1e1pod.com. That's where you can find all the links to where you can listen to us, all our social media. So give us a follow, Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff. Real quick, just before we even get even further into it, the show is called The Seinfeld Chronicles. That's like what it was originally released as, but it went by other names, like in syndication, it was called Good News, Bad News. It's been known as Pilot, The Premiere, just Seinfeld. I think uh, in its writing concept, was called Stand Up. So <laughs> an episode with The show itself names. or this episode? This episode. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought you meant the show. No, no, no. The original Seinfeld Chronicles version, too, has different theme music. I know, and the version I watched didn't have the original music, which I felt like was a little bit of a cheat, because I like to watch it the way it was released. I put the DVD on, because I have, like, the the Seinfeld box set is one of the first DVD box sets that's, like, the size of a guitar amp. It it looks like a suitcase. (laughs) I'll take a picture of it. It's, like, humongous, because it's so many discs. Uh, But you can watch the pilot the regular way, and as the Seinfeld Chronicles. And the original theme song is just like a drum machine and then like a computer-generated harpsichord. It doesn't, like when you're so used to like the bomba dum I've heard it, yeah, but I, I didn't, um, I do wish that I had a copy with it and it was kind of late when I realized that it was a music swap situation. Has the harpsichord ever not been computer-generated? I feel like if I saw a harpsichord, I wouldn't know what they actually look like. It's like a little tiny piano. Think of uh, John Goodman in the movie King Ralph. Yeah, yeah, that one. Okay. Has nobody seen King Ralph, the movie where the entire British family dies in an electrocution accident, and then they find the lounge singer John Goodman is the only person (laughs) with blood, and they fly him to England, and he becomes the wacky new king? No. No? No, (laughs) I have it on DVD from Walmart for $2. Good man. How do you make fun of me for Top Gun, a movie which I've seen? 
and then you mm-hmm. pull out the Rat King or whatever that's called. You have not seen <laughs> Top Gun. I wish it was the rat. Yeah, first of all, you haven't seen Top Gun. Second of all, you know it's King Ralph, and I'm sure you've seen it. That is the gordoest movie ever. You will love King Ralph so much. I was gonna say that does sound more up your alley than Top Gun, which I'm, I'm by the way, certain that you're gonna secretly watch soon and pretend you've seen it all. Gordo. What is Tom Cruise's character's mode of transportation besides an airplane? I was going to say, please put the caveat of not an airplane. It's a, uh, isn't it like a Camaro? No. no. You have a motorcycle. Seen seen it's a motorcycle. You have not seen the movie. I haven't seen the movie. I watched it what? in the you summer. You failed every Listen, I know for a fact he rides the bus in that movie. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't want to get too, too far away from Seinfeld because I know this is a show that has a very, very loyal fan base. So I don't want to <laughs> confuse people too far too early. Well, now that our new fans know Gordo's never seen Top Gun. Now everyone knows yet. But one last t- tidbit before we go on too. Um. One week later, after the Seinfeld Chronicles premiered, was the premiere of Hey Dude. Really? Seinfeld, a huge show. We wanted to do a really big show for episode 100. It was down to this or the office, and we kind of left it up to the fans to vote. And it was pretty split, but there was like a, a little edge on Seinfeld. I don't think there was a wrong answer there. So Seinfeld wins. The show itself, I would imagine we've all seen to some extent. What mm-hmm. extent was it for you guys? Were you guys all loyal viewers and you watch it all in syndication? I was always turned off by Seinfeld for some reason. I just never, I don't know. I, ne- I don't want to say I never enjoyed it because I never really gave it a chance. I always switched. I always kept going when it was on TV for some reason. I don't know why, but uh, that's how it was when I was younger. For me, it was one of the first shows I ever remember like appointment TV watching. Like at least the last two seasons, maybe the last three, I watched every Thursday Night Live. Because it was huge in syndication by the time we were probably getting cognizant of television. It was on at like 7 p.m., like around dinner time. Two episodes and then two episodes of The Simpsons. It was like the best two hours of my night every week. And I remember when the, how big of a deal it was on the season premiere, uh, season uh, finale happened. Finale, too. Like yeah. The whole world. Yeah. Yeah. I remember watching that like with my parents. That was like a, everybody stop everything and watch The whole this. world just let down at the same time. <laughs> Look, I think in hindsight, when you go back and watch it, it's not that bad. It's the expectations, right? Yeah. It's like, there's only so much you can do. For myself, I watched a lot of Seinfeld like in its original run, like because it was on so much. But I didn't revisit it as I got older, so I don't have a lot of like knowledge of, you know, big storylines as they went along. I just remember the show. Watching this episode was kind of like a fresh start in a way for me. I mean, I know a lot about it, but I watched it in syndication, like it, like Joe said, like uh, before The Simpsons. Because it was on like all the time. That's what I remember watching. So it's one of those shows too, where like just like The Office, like if you put on TBS at any point during the day, you will catch either The Office or Seinfeld. And it's one of those shows to me where I'm like, you can throw it on any episode, just like The Office, any part, anywhere. It always just kind of flows. You don't have to be stuck in a storyline. Even the season where they create the show Seinfeld and have a whole thing about making their own pilot, which is kind of meta to what we do, uh, you can put on anywhere in that. What is, this is a question I had, and I feel like maybe only Joe and Ferg could answer. Are there any, uh, because I have been watching it recently, like before we decided to do it, I just, you know, I started, you know, bedtiming it. Is there ever, because I, what you said about the the script that they're writing and stuff like that, is there ever like an overarching storyline across multiple episodes? Because as far as I can tell, there, there isn't really. 
Yeah, the, when when they're working on the show, that goes on for a while. No, I know. That's the only one I can think of is what I mean. Like, I remember that one spanning a few episodes. Susan and what happens with Susan and then the aftermath of that is a pretty long storyline that goes through. Okay. And not always storyline. There's always callbacks to older episodes. Yeah. But also, this is a show that like gave it, gave us a lot of stuff culturally. Like we don't really think about. Like the term shrinkage is like a good example, right? Where like that became put in that came into the cultural lexicon. Like we all knew our dicks got smaller when they were in cold water or whatever, right? Or like it's cold outside. But like the term was shrinkage, that their term? No, that that is not from Seinfeld. Shrinkage is a hundred percent from Seinfeld. Again, the act of your dick shrinking is not from Seinfeld, but the no, term but shrinkage. I heard that word before I ever saw Seinfeld. Uh, I don't know if I believe that. We'll just take that to the... I saw it in Top Gun, damn it. <laughs> you can't dedicate too much time to looking up the history of shrinkage now. <laughs> now, does this open up comedians in cars with coffee? Is it a sitcom? No, it is not. But it's funny, right? It's supposed to be, right? It's like reality TV. What? It's the most opposite from what we do. I'm glad 100 episodes in, you're not sure the concept of our show, though. Like, the, sh- the point of it isn't to just do things that are funny. We could just do, um, you know, YouTube shorts and TikToks then, too, if that was the case. Those people make a lot more money than we do. <laughs> I also would be remiss if I didn't mention, if you guys have not seen it, it's worth a YouTube lookup as well. But right after Seinfeld ended, because, spoiler alert, they end up in jail, Jerry does a whole sketch of Jerry in jail, but it's Oz on SNL. That is fantastic. Oh, that's amazing. I got to check that out. Yeah, and then we talk about Oz on here a lot. So that's a good kind of a crossover of two different things. One of the little tidbit I wanted to bring up before we talk about the episode itself, because it's not really so much about the specific episode, but this was kind of created as a standalone. So when they did this, you know, it was tested and it didn't do great with test audiences, but it did a little bit better when it actually made it to air. The people who wanted the show to continue, like that did believe in it you know, push for it. And it was only given a four episode first season after the pilot, which was like the shortest in like television history to do a four episode season one. And it was a year later. Yeah, it was a fall. It was the following year when the next episode came out. It was like May of the following year. But yeah, I mean, I guess there's not much to do other than get into the actual episode. So the show starts with, you know, comedian Jerry Seinfeld doing stand up. In the show itself, he plays a fictionalized character of himself. He's Jerry Seinfeld in real life. He's playing Jerry Seinfeld on the show. I read that the show was uh, mainly inspired by the show Mulaney. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why it didn't do so well and why Mulaney went on to do nine seasons of very successful work. Again, no offense, John Mulaney. I love you, but that show was Mulaney sucked. Yeah, we did cover Mulaney. If you guys want to go back for anyone who's newer to us, maybe, I don't even remember, maybe a year ago now we did that show. The Wish wish version of Seinfeld. (laughs) It is the Wish.com version of Seinfeld. (laughs) Mulaney? That we have Seinfeld at home, Seinfeld. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> in uh, the stand-up routine, he's joking about the concept of going out and how it's all, it's one of the most single, enjoyable experiences in life. And I don't want to reenact the bit because that wouldn't be funny, but like there were a few things I found interesting in it. You know, when he's talking about the idea of going out and how nobody knows where we are, he's like, oh, where'd he go? He didn't tell me where he was going. He must have went out. It's like, that's so not a thing now. The idea of just being able to anonymously leave. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. I will say, though, I related very much when he was like, and then when you're out, all you want to do is go home. It's like, bingo, bango, bongo, sir. Yeah, it's just, it was so crazy to think, you know, something like that, the times change so much that the opening joke to this show is so outdated now. 
What's interesting, Jay, is that everything was landlines and you didn't have cell phones in your pocket that even if your phone was cut off, you could get to you through a hundred other different means. Yeah, there's an instance way later in the show, so I don't want to jump the gun too much where, you know, the phone comes into play that I want to get into that a little bit because something didn't make sense and I had to kind of remind myself it's a non-cell phone world. Not to jump ahead either, but one of the most famous episodes of Seinfeld that's in the first season basically revolves around somebody trying to reach somebody through a payphone at a restaurant and they can't and if somebody else is on the phone, they can't get through, right? So like just how different the world was then where you were like, call me at the Chinese food restaurant, I'll be there. Here's the number for the payphone, and then hoping nobody else is on the phone at the same time. Like we've gone through just a huge change. How do you guys feel about just this device in general, the whole using stand-up to open up the episode? Is this the first instance of this? In using a television show, I believe so. I mean, not that I could think of with a sitcom. I mean, stand-up comedians have done TV shows before Seinfeld. Sure. I mean, most, I mean, that was the goal back then. Sitcoms from like the 70s onwards, it's pretty much the whole thing. You get like Gabe Kaplan or somebody involved, you know, they have their bits and then you make it. And it kept going too, like with all, you know, even, you know, Home Improvement, George Lopez, stuff like that. It's all. I mean, even modern day, it's just that the idea was not many of them played a stand-up. That's what I mean. Yeah. It was based on their stand-up, but they'd have a different occupation in the actual show. So as far as I know, it's very unique in that aspect. I don't think anybody else has really done that besides Mulaney. (laughs) I like it as wraparounds, too, because you get to sort of lay out the plot and then give a sort of final summation of the plot at the end. Right. And and add more humor in. The early concept of this when Seinfeld and Larry David, who's the co-creator of the show, when, when they were getting together, it was originally a concept. It was supposed to be like a 90-minute piece that was going to be aired on an off week of SNL during that time slot. And the whole concept was going to be stand-ups and how they get their material. So that's kind of what you're seeing here. You're seeing the joke and then how it came to him, you know, and we're seeing that throughout this episode. So that was kind of the crux of the original idea of that show. And then we see it just kind of morph into what it ended up being, which was a sitcom. Problem for me is that I don't find Jerry Seinfeld stand up funny in the least. I think he's funny on the show. I think he's like his acting's fine, but his stand up doesn't do it for me. It's a very particular style of stand-up. I also think it's very dated. Like, I think if you were to watch his stand-up, you know, if you were your age in 1989, right, you would enjoy his stand-up. Because I kind of agree, but I like Jerry Seinfeld's stand-up now. But, like, that back then, some of the stuff really misses with, like, the opening scene comedy bits and stuff like that. But I don't think, I just think it's a product of the time, basically. It's a very clean, light style of comedy, and that was another thing, pairing him with Larry David, where Larry has a more darker side to him than Jerry does. So the combination of the two kind of met in the middle. But here, when you're just getting his his actual stand-up routine, it's very lighthearted jokes that are you know pretty simple in nature and good, clean fun. This is the time, too, where like to be a successful comedian, you had to get on The Tonight Show and kill and to do that you had to have five really good clean minutes because you're on national tv right so even people like sam kennison will go on the tonight show and not do his usual shtick right like you have to do these clean jokes and if you can keep doing that and you're doing well they're going to keep having you back you're going to keep getting bigger and bigger so i think it's also a product of that system that's sort of gone now like it doesn't mean yeah. anything if you're on 
late night with whoever anymore. You know what I mean? Like it's good. It just gets YouTube views. And if you're funny, you're funny, but it's not this like career making thing that it used to be. Oh, he, when he was on the tonight show, did he wear his pirate shirt? But Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be a pirate. The stand up part in the beginning doesn't bother me because this show is so iconic. So you're used to seeing it. Correct. But, but do you think like trying to look at it with a fresh pair of eyes, would you go like, huh? I think if you're looking at it with a fresh pair of eyes, yeah, but because this show was what it was, yeah. I see what you mean. It's really tough to step out of knowing what the show is, right? Shows like this are really tough for us to cover and kind of ignore everything else, but I think like when you look at it to intro the show, it's fine. It kind of just sets the mood. I did think it was a little weird, and we'll talk about it as we go along, when it keeps cutting to it, because the... The cuts were so long. This episode is more than most episodes, but I do like in a workplace show when it happens, like Home Improvement, most of the time began, opened during tool time, right? Because yeah. again, it gives you a way to sort of level out what the episode is going to be about. So I don't think that it would be bad to hard to watch. Again, I agree. It's so iconic now. It's hard to put yourself separate from it, but you get the idea that this is a funny sort of guy. He's got these issues and he's a comedian. And that also gives you the leeway that he's sort of more freewheeling and you understand why he travels and. He's not stuck in an office. Yeah, and then, like, from there, when we get to the first actual scene, we see the exterior of Pete's luncheonette, which, uh, it's weird, because, again, it's really tough to ignore future knowledge of How the show. How different it looks. It's a different shop, completely. Yeah, yeah. it's a different restaurant. No booths, no. Yeah, it's not monks. It's not monks, which is... I've, I don't know if you guys have ever visited the actual monks, the exterior that they use. I've walked by it. I've never yeah, walked by it. I have a picture from when I was a lot younger. Maybe I'll put it on our stories or something on instagram one thing i noticed from this scene too is as they fade in you see like two amazingly perfect like superman level phone booths so i like went to do some digging and i was reading about how at this time there was thirty thousand phone booths and public phones in new york city and now there's four wow. and the four that are there are only there because they're trying to preserve it's like a special thing so they're like taken care of and monitored and maintained in case Bill and Ted show up. So they're not like lost forever or whatever, but there's just four left. When you think about the size of New York City, 30,000 actually isn't that much, right? right. Yeah. No, I don't know if that, I mean, I guess New York City proper though, I don't think that covers like the other, yeah, it's like the city proper, so Manhattan proper, right? Yeah. But still, 30,000 isn't that many. When when we were kids and you go through the city, there's a bank of two here, a bank of two there. It was never hard yeah. to find a payphone. There was one at my work still until recently. They recently just took it out. Now there's just a big hole in the wall. They didn't fix it or anything. The weird thing is they would do that a lot too. Sometimes they'd take the hole out, but they'd leave the shell. So like you'd walk by and there's just these weird rectangles with tags and like stickers on them. You're like, why wouldn't you just undrill this from the building? <laughs> so there is a payphone up the street from my house that has no phone attached to it that I've gotten into it's just literally just a pay. It's just a husk of the outside. And I have gotten into a sticker war with someone in my neighborhood that every single time I put an S1E1 sticker on the front and center, somebody rips it off and then rips it in half and leaves it like on the in- inner part of the phone booth for Damn me to you watch. sticker baron! <laughs> and every funny. single day I slap another one on there. This is why we need more stickers. Yes. photos in a sticker war. This is why I told you we need to get the urinal uh, mats. If somebody goes in and says, fuck this podcast, I'm putting my own urinal mat in there and puts their hand in and takes it, that's their win. They can have that one. 
I can't remember if I've ever brought this up on the show before, but years and years ago, I think we're in middle school, me and Joe ended up in a paddy wagon once over a payphone because the person we were with we were um with decided as a fun prank he would call nine one one on the payphone and leave it off the hook and not tell us that he did it. So we're just standing there in front of the payphone. <laughs> And then the cop pulls up. And he's like, "Get in here!" Like, what? So we don't even know what's happening. Was that at the parking lot? It was in when it was still a McDonald's in town. Yeah, yeah. yeah I remember that. But like, we were dumb back then. But we were dumb enough to know that if you prank nine one one in like visual distance to the police station, you fucking at least turn the corner. You know? <laughs> yeah, don't stand in front of the phone that's still off the hook. <laughs> it wasn't me, but it actually wasn't us. We still got in trouble. Right. And then a fun fact about. Um, Pete's Luncheonette, which is where this is um, set up when it gets to the interior of the actual diner. I don't know if any of you guys saw it, but the set for the diner was um, like leftover set from Muppets Take Manhattan. <sighs> that would make sense why there was a Sammy Davis Jr. 8x10 very prominently. <laughs> that would explain why Rizzo the Rat was the cook in the background. Right? Like the lamp, not the rat. Finally, new work. <laughs> I miss seeing the 8x10s. We, maybe it was my sister's baby shower. We all went to, and it was at like an Italian pizza big restaurant in Boston, and they just had like all the fifties, sixties, and seventies eight by tens all over the wall still. Just people who have like visited the restaurant, yeah, that was like a thing for celebrities back then. Imagine just having a handler with a bunch of your eight by tens. So every time you visited anywhere, you're like, "Here's an eight by ten. Oh, share eight spaghetti here, fucking cool. Yeah, they do that at Kowloon still. Yeah, a lot of it now is yeah. like. A lot of pictures, though, with the owners and stuff that get printed, but just the idea of having your own 8x10, I mean, yeah, a lot of that's because so many wrestlers go by there. There's also a Seinfeld episode where he writes down an 8x10 for a diner and doesn't like what he says, and the whole plot of the episode is him trying to get it back so we can write a better one. We need to start doing that. You want 8x10s of us? The only person here who has an 8x10 is Jay, who forces them onto the public <laughs> by autographing himself in that terrible movie. In he fairness, was in. those were mostly surprises. Most of those people didn't... I didn't even tell you guys I was going to do that. Yeah, because we would have vetoed it. You knew right, that. Right, until it was too late. Look what I already sent somebody. I told you not to do it. You don't listen to me. <laughs> we get to the inside, and the conversation between Jerry and his friend George is about um, the button placement on George's shirt. And it, mostly the button placement of the second button and how it makes or breaks the shirt. This is also the very last conversation in Seinfeld. Yes, well. that's how they round it out in the finale. So then a waitress walks up to pour the two cups of coffee. And George is like nervous because he drinks decaf and there's no indicator on the top of the coffee pot. Usually it's orange. And she's like, oh, I have it, you know, memorized. I have to do it in my head. And she's like, decaf left, regular right. Decaf left, regular right. It's very challenging work. I love this character, by the way. I wish she stuck around as like a main. Well, she like, was stay. intended to. Yeah. So, um, the waitress, her name on the show is Claire, and she's played by actress Lee Garlington. And originally, she was signed on to be a regular on the show when they did the pilot. And that's like, you know, because there's no other time to bring it up. Elaine is not in this episode. She's not part of the cast. The intention was for her to be the fourth, but in that waitress position. And there's all different reasons if you through different interviews, so, like, it's tough to speculate exactly why they went with the swap. A few different reasons have been, you know, publicly placed. But, uh, yeah, I mean, what could have been? She could have been, like, a mainstay on, on this, like, gigantic show, and then just something happened, and it didn't work out. I mean, she's done well for herself, though. She's got, like, 250 acting credits. credits. Yeah. She's in every sitcom we've ever covered. No, she is, too. Like, I hate when Joe's weird Spidey sense tingles. She's the second main bad guy in Cobra. 
my absolute favorite Stallone movie, <laughs> where when she goes to, they find out she's a bad lady. She's like, what are you, crazy? And she goes, yes, and then pulls out a knife. When I saw her again in this, I was like, holy shit, it's the lady from Cobra. I feel like this character, there could have been a place for her where they, you know, they're so grounded in like being at a restaurant all the time. They could have still used her, right? And just not made her like a regular on the show, but she never appears on the show again. Yeah, because they're always in the coffee shop anyway. There's always waitresses that they're interacting with. Or maybe she's there the entire time, but since they go to Monk's. Did they change where they go? She's just a Pete still, yeah. (laughs) Jerry and George continue to talk, and Jerry mentions that a girl that he met in Michigan named Laura is coming to town and tells George about how he met her when he was doing a show out there and they got to talking and how nice it was. And as the conversation unfolds a bit more, George starts to question the intentions of this girl and whether or not she's actually going to call him when she's in town. Mainly because of, like, things he heard when Jerry's, you know, recounting the story. And saying things like, she had to come in for a seminar and maybe we'll get together. So he's really, like, stuck on this had to and maybe being a big sticking point. And he tells him that she's only calling ahead of time to keep you as, like, a backup plan just in case, like, whatever else she has going on in town falls through. And Jerry jokes that this is just retaliation about the button thing. But thoughts on, like, George's point of view here? Because I think there is some logic to how George is interpreting this. George is right in this one, for sure. I mean, he's really right once we finish the episode. Well, yeah, but even then, I think there's some... We'll talk about that when we get to the end, but I kind of feel like my thoughts on the situation aren't necessarily going to be the same as the rest of yours. But we'll get into that later on, but... No, I think George has some points because it's very, like, wish-washy kind of plans. It's it's nothing set in stone. It's like, oh, I'm going to be in town. Yeah, yeah, but, I mean, there is sound logic there. It's tough to figure out what the temperature is without really knowing what their history is, and they don't really get into that. No, it's just they met, he was, like, doing a show out in Michigan, and yeah. he met her, and they got to talking, and that's kind of all they really had, so. But, like, what did they do that night? Well, he said nothing, like, he did, George did ask, like, basically if they had hooked up. So, I, so we know, like, nothing physical happened. Yeah, I imagine they just hung out at the bar until she had to go home, and he was like, here's my number, call me if you ever in New York. Because if that's the case, it sounds like Jerry misread the interaction, like, from the get-go. Yeah. Very possibly. Because then Claire walks by, and George pulls her aside and lays out that scenario. <laughs> He's like, you're a woman, right? And she's like, uh, what gave it away, George? And ultimately, after he tells her everything that, you know, Jerry just said to him, she agrees. And when she says no to, like, when George asks whether or not she thinks that this girl wants to hang out with Jerry, George has, like, a clipboard and wrote no on a piece of paper that he, like, reveals as if it was a game show when she says no. Why does he have that? I don't know. I thought that was weird, too. When did he write it? (laughs) I'm assuming you find out he's a real estate agent. Maybe it's something for work where he's like taking notes. He's walking through the building. People are noting stuff. It was just weird prop comedy at that point. It was just it was just very weird for him to have that like with him. Also, Jason Alexander, we haven't said by name yet, but star of Blank Man, a movie we've also talked about on this podcast. Star of Dunstan Checks In, you mean. Dunstan Checks In. (laughs) Also, we've talked about a bunch of times his sitcom ER with George Clooney that predates <laughs> ER by like 10 years. Maybe that'll be my next pick for the show. I don't even know if we can find that pilot, but it looks funny. I always remember him like as the guy from Pretty Woman too. I think that's mm. like the the thing that I I most outside of Seinfeld when I was to think if, if I had to think of something he's in, I think that comes up first. If we do co- if we do cover ER, I think of all the people we can trick when we advertise it. <laughs> well, the ER the sitcom has a slash in it like 2020. 
Jerry asks George to go to the laundromat with him because he has to throw his stuff in the dryer. George doesn't want to go watch him do laundry. Jerry's like, come on, be a come with guy. And Claire's like, don't worry, I gave him a little bit of caffeine. He'll perk up. And then George's reaction to him finding out that he just had caffeine, I thought was really good. And I guess when you see Jerry laughing, that's that's actual laughter to George's reaction. It's a genuine laugh. I will say, we've talked about it before, I didn't have caffeine for like ten, well, on purpose for like 10 years. But I had definitely gotten coffee before, and it was caffeine. And you know because within 10 oh, minutes. Oh, yeah, it happens to me. Yeah, it's like you're on speed all of a sudden. And I totally get it. You're like, I wasn't expecting to be like this. And it takes a while to like reacclimate yourself back to caffeine again. I'm, I was completely off caffeine for a while and I've slowly kind of got back in like a little bit, but not much like a here and again thing and not being so caffeine dependent. I still don't touch energy, uh, energy drinks as much as I love them. Yeah. Every now and again, I'll order a decaf and I'll know like halfway through. I'm like, motherfucker, this isn't decaf. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, pretty quick. I don't get why he doesn't want to do laundry with them because they're just sitting there talking. It's no different than what they're doing at the diner. I mean, a laundromat, though, is inherently a super boring place to be with no out. Like, if you're at the diner, you're like, I'm not hungry anymore, let's leave. And at the laundromat, yeah. you have to stay until everything's done. Yeah, you can't just uh, leave your clothes and go. No. I know some people who do that, and I'm like, that's a great way to get your shit stolen. Jerry did it in New York. <laughs> who did? Jerry did it in, in this episode. Yeah, he's, his clothes are in the washer. He's throwing them in the dryer. They're already in the washer. So yeah, he did leave his clothes. Oh, good point. Yeah. But also we talked about this a little earlier. Again, this is a world with no cell phone. So you can't just like sit there and like look down at your phone and yeah. go on Instagram or play Candy Crush. Like you're stuck. You're just watching this thing on a loop if you don't bring a book. Yeah, you got to bring a book. That's why they have each other. Yeah, bring a book or a friend. Yeah. So which is what Jerry's trying to do. Or a Game Boy. This is Game Boy time. So we cut to the laundromat, and one of the first conversations are the two noting this guy who walked by who had, like, a basket full of all the things he needs to do his laundry, which was, like, detergent and fabric softeners and what. And then we saw the girl stuck in the dryer, and George <laughs> had to help her. Well, Jerry does note here that this is not his first load, so <laughs> perhaps that's what's going on. I thought it was weird that Jerry's just sitting on the table uh, crisscross applesauce like a child. Yeah. I was going to make fun of him, but that's exactly how I'm sitting right now. Me too. He, it was very casual for being at the laundromat. Like, I don't, <laughs> sir, I don't think you could sit on that. He's kind of dressed like a little kid, too. He's got, like, a baseball shirt on and sneakers. He's not, like, yeah. compared to George, who's dressed a little more, like, business casual, I would say. But sneakers is a big deal for Jerry. Well, it's Jerry's laundry day. That's, that's true. It's true. Laundry day. Yeah. Good, good call. It's funny. I haven't had to have, I haven't had to use a laundromat in a very long time, probably 15-ish years. Because, like, it would just get to a point where, like, I would pay the extra for an apartment that had it on site. Even if you had to pay for the laundry. Like, it just becomes such a hassle having to do this all the time. I only use a laundromat, like, if I have to do big things like my coat. Or something that, like, I don't want to spend the money on the dryers and washers in my apartment. Because I know they just won't do a good job. It just won't do a good job. I need to bring in the heavy hitters. They've got those new ones now that are a washer and a dryer in the same cycle. And I do not fucking trust it. How? I do not know. Again, it's like the laser eye surgery. Come at me in like 50 years when I know that it works and nobody's eyes have fallen out. I'm good to try it. But like, it's it's not new. It's been on for a long time. I think you're safe. What? The dryers? The dryers? No, laser eye surgery. Oh, it's still too new for me. Also, I'd probably just end up wearing glasses with empty lenses in them because I couldn't handle not wearing glasses. Anymore. Well, that's the thing. I mean, as we record, four out of the five of us have glasses on right now. And fucking nerds. <laughs> 
2020, bitches. Are you 2020, really? Yeah, still. I went once and talked to a doctor about the idea of it because my dad hated the idea of having a fat son with glasses. <laughs> and now we breach into why Jay needed behavioral therapy. So, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so I think he was like, what's the easier of the two to fix? So we talked to a doctor. And it was like the idea of, yeah, we can do it, but your eyes are basically so bad that you'll probably still need glasses for reading and shit. And I'm like, and driving. I'm like, what's the fuck's the point? <laughs> like, so instead he spent the money on a bunch of scratch tickets and called it a day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I tried. During this conversation, Jerry kind of instantly jumps back into this conversation about Laura, which gets George to like, he like falls to his knees and yell like, we've already discussed this. And it's like a bit extreme. He was yeah, like, a little bit. He was a little overacting. This is George doing such a hardcore Woody Allen impersonation in this episode. Which he admits on his own. Like he said, that's exactly what he was doing. This scene, especially you can really, really see it. Do you know that's why he bought glasses was for that reason? For no. the character? Yeah. yeah. He also came from Broadway. That's a very Broadway, like a, a stage acting. Yeah. Feel to it. Play to the play to the last seat of the room, not just to who's in front of you. Yeah, it's different than TV acting. Yeah, and George is telling him, he's like, she called yesterday and didn't make plans. You don't have a way to call her. You don't even know where she's staying. And like, I think at this point, it's starting to sink in. And Joey's like, wait a minute. <laughs> he's like, I don't even have a way to call her. I don't know where she's staying. So uh, he's finally like, okay, I think George has a point. So because George is already... I don't know, maybe won this battle. He's now moving on to the next one, which is how do we get out of this laundromat? And Jerry's like, just wait out the cycle. Like the machine knows what it's doing. And he tells Jerry, like, you're going to overdrive them. He's like, you can't overdry the same way you can't overwet. When it's wet, it's wet. The same way once you die, you're dead. He's like, if I were to drop dead and, you know, get shot, like, it doesn't matter. You're not going to die again. You're already dead. And like everyone in the laundromat is just staring at him at this point because. A bit of a ridiculous conversation. It's also the size of a shoebox. But he's also doing a comedy routine here, too. So he's just doing stand-up now in the laundromat. Or a sit-down, sit I guess you'd call it. See, doing laundry is not so bad. You get to watch a stand-up comedian. I mean, to be fair, if someone said you have to go to laundromat for an hour, it's like, oh. But Jerry's going to be doing bits. You're like, ooh, okay. Yeah, how, how was laundry? Actually, not bad. Jerry Seinfeld was doing stand-up. <laughs> Sitting pretzel style on top of a machine. You know what's something I thought of? Uh, during during this episode or this show really as a stand-up com- I like I love stand-up comedy but as a stand-up comedian who has to write basically a synopsis for every episode that's somewhat based around your stand-up doesn't that throw away a lot of your stand-up you know yeah. what I mean like you're 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 using material like that you could be using on stage but now it has to be used in the show which is fine you're still producing this comedy right so but it's not the same medium of getting it out there so i feel like it's a as a stand-up comedian you're probably hesitant to use certain stuff well knowing how a lot of comedians like would tour material and then they kind of do their special he kind of could do that only instead of doing a special get into his next season and start using a lot of those bits for different episodes yeah that's true so we could kind of tour it that way i i don't remember if he was doing a lot of comedy specials in the time that the the show was out. I don't remember anything big coming up. He did a lot of those like HBO young comedy specials and things throughout the 80s. I'm sure he was touring. He's probably a road comic forever. But I mean like through the 90s and like the main run of this show, like did he have any big like stand-up specials come out or was he just kind of fixated on the show anyways? Not till the end really. 
It doesn't matter. The show is definitely paying him a lot more than any comedy club. Oh, yeah. And the syndication deal alone they got. So you know this. what? You take my material. I don't give a damn. Just write the check. I was going to say that the the biggest thing, like the different writing styles for you know, writing for television is vastly different than writing stand-up material. But the like Ferg said, the more money is in the TV deal. That's where the prestige comes from. So I don't think it's a huge deal for the comic because especially if the show gains steam and the show gains traction, just like this show did. So interestingly enough, Jerry Seinfeld only has five stand-up specials. I imagine if Seinfeld didn't take off, this number would be higher. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. One was pretty recent, right? Yeah, 2020 was uh, 23 hours to kill. But there was one single one before it, and it's his least rated one. Like, this one rates them 1 to 10, it looks like. That was Jerry Seinfeld's Stand Up Confidential in 1987. That one's rated at a 6.6 out of 10. And then everything else is literally after it. Nothing during Seinfeld. The only one close... Oh, actually, when did Seinfeld end? What year? 97? Okay, so yeah, this uh, Jerry Seinfeld, I'm telling you for the last time, was 98. So he never, yeah, he never did one during the run of the show. So he's probably kind of using, if he was touring at the time at all, which I'm not even sure if he was, but he could have kind of tested the... I imagine this took a lot of his time, you know, so... Oh, for sure. We talk about it now, right? Like a new TV show comes out and it's 10 episodes, right? These shows are 22 episodes and you're the main actor and you're the writer, you know, one of the head writers for it. Like the amount of time that this takes up for your year, I imagine when they're like, hey, you've got two months off in the summer before we start up again, you're just like, I don't, like, I want to be on a beach. I want to be, like, on a dock with my feet in the water. I don't want to be going on tour, you know? After that little bit, he's kind of, like, looking off into space, and he's thinking again about how she never told him where she was staying, and just kind of, like, thinking. And because of that, he's distracted and doesn't notice. George, who, like, cracks the door to the dryer open, like, for a second to stop the machine, and then shuts it, he goes, Oh, look at that. They're done. (laughs) I like that because it shows their dynamic really like in a real quick movement, right? Like you're just being introduced to these people and you get the sort of neurotic and I don't want to be here and that he would do something underhanded like that, which plays out to how you expect and he will be the rest of the show. And from there we cut to like the second time we're seeing Jerry doing stand up, and now the routine is about laundry. And like I said, the original concept of the show was kind of where do comedians get their source material from? And So now he's just doing like a a bit about laundry, which lasts a couple minutes. And he's talking about how like laundry day is the most exciting day for clothes. And and he's comparing the machines to like a nightclub. He talks about missing socks. And then he gets into like a bit about detergent that's advertising that it gets bloodstains out of shirts and (laughs) saying if, you know, if you have a bloodstain in your shirt, you probably have bigger problems than having to do laundry. This is also the epitome of clean comedy. Yes. Oh, yeah. Because it's laundry. Because of of laundry. Because of detergent. I mean, the big, the big joke, the caterpillar walking. What? The sock walking away, like a caterpillar, what he does. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. I thought it, you were referencing, like, something culturally that had nothing to do with the scene when you were saying, like, the caterpillar walk. <laughs> oh, yeah, you guys don't remember that move back in the day? The worm beat it, but... Then we got the dinosaur, and it was all over. Mm-hmm. Right on the floor, everybody walk the dinosaur. Didn't was not was pop up in an episode once too? Didn't like Don was do it ep- like one of the theme songs for something we did? I feel like that. Yeah, I just don't remember what now. We've done so many. Yeah, I talked about this before. I don't mind the the cutting to stand up, but 
this is like the second of four times we see it. And in total, it's like we're talking like a good maybe six minutes of the episode was dedicated to stand up. And I felt like it was a little too long and it kind of took you out of the tone of the show at times, the way it was done. It's like a full quarter of the runtime of the show. And there was like a weird part on this one only where it's shooting him from behind to show the audience, which felt even less like the sitcom. And now it feels like more a stand up special. It, it was, I don't know, it, it was just seemed out of place. So at this part of the stand-up routine, did you guys notice how different the audio was? No. I didn't know it at the time. So like when they show his back, it's almost like he's talking from back here. And then when, you know, it shows to the front, he it, it's a normal like TV volume, like when it's the center camera. So I wonder if it if something was up there with the audio where they only had like one camera, that one center camera being the good one and the other ones kind of being less optimal. Yeah, maybe they cut to the shot behind him as like a B-roll thing to kind of work around something. So now the next scene we're at Jerry's apartment, the first time we see his apartment and he's home watching TV alone. And while he's sitting on the couch, the phone rings. And as soon as he picks up, before even letting the other person get a word out, he says, if you knew what happened in the Mets game, don't say anything. I taped it. I can't watch sports if they're not live. I can't either. It's tough, yeah. But it, again, is this, a, is this a time thing? I know you can like DVR and stuff now. Yeah, I think then if you really care and you're a huge Mets fan and the game was on that night and you wanted to see it, I mean, it's still the same day. I think that's not an issue. Here's my problem. My problem with this whole thing is he didn't do fuck all all day. He could have just watched this game. Like there was nothing. Well, we don't know if him. he had like a stand-up gig though. Yeah, he did laundry and then did a stand-up gig. I guess, yeah, true. But I don't know. To me, it's just a preference thing because I talk to people at work who do it. You know, it's like, oh, I couldn't watch the Patriots. I was busy, so I recorded. I'm gonna watch it later when I get out of work. I just can't enjoy it if it already happened. And maybe that's because I'm I'm connected to devices, so it's almost impossible to like not have something ruined. But I don't know, the thrill of sports is knowing, for me, it's like that it's happening in the moment, and I just can't enjoy it knowing that it's pre-recorded. Do you know what might make it better if you try it this way? If you wear, like, bright lapis blue and cherry red popsicle sweatsuit like Jerry's wearing here, because that outfit is fucking bananas. That was hideous. Yeah. It was such a bad call. Why would they do that? He's dressed like a Cabbage Patch doll. It's like when a four-year-old dresses themselves. Yeah, so it turns out the person on the phone was just like a wrong number, but the person seemed to be, I don't know, in disbelief of the situation, so he you know, didn't let the conversation die right away. And while he's on the phone, his neighbor Kessler knocks on the door and walks in. And as soon as Jerry hangs up, Kessler says, boy, the Mets blew it tonight, huh? And Jerry's very upset about this and says he avoided human contact all night to watch this game. Oh, I taped the game! So, to get into it, Kessler, played by Michael Richards, obviously that character later becomes known as Kramer, which was the actual name of the person that the character was based on, comedian Kenny Kramer, who was the neighbor of Larry David, the show's co-creator. The name of the character was changed to Kessler because Larry thought Kenny would want money for it if he found out, which was true. But uh, Jerry felt really strong about using the name, so I guess after the pilot, when when they did get the four-episode run, they had him negotiate with the network, and they made some... He had some demands or just bargaining things, which they mostly met, except for his demand to play the character. Yeah, I want to play it myself. <laughs> and they said, no. The same thing happened with George. The Costanza is a friend of Jerry Seinfeld's. 
And the guy's last name was really Costanza. And he ended up trying to do the same thing, but he waited way too long. And it was like the statute of limitations things. Like if you had done it within a year, then you might've had a chance, but he waited way too long. Mr. Costanza. It's so hard not to quote Seinfeld this entire time. Seinfeld, The Office, and The Simpsons. There's a quote for like every single moment in life, if you know those shows well. And I think in fairness to this show and what we do, unless we're talking about the future, I think in nature of this show, if we, if someone slips and calls him Kramer moving forward, I think there should be some sort of a penalty. He's not in it enough for, really for it to happen, I don't think. Well, that's what I'm saying. It might not happen, but I think if it does, maybe... Okay, if somebody... I got it. I got it. If somebody slips... Gordo loses another show. I was going to say it. I didn't want to pick on Gordo. <laughs> Why am I the whipping boy today? Do we put a show up on the line, though, if someone says Kramer instead of Kessler? Sure. Sure. I, yeah, I, I would, but that would only hurt our fans, and I can't do that to them. Well, you just got outvoted, so. Yeah. Here yeah. We are. So, try not to say it. And also, his name isn't that name or Kessler. It's Stanley Spadowski, and he is the world's greatest janitor and television host. UHF. Woo. I think when he first walks in, it's the only time he's even referred to as Kessler. So, like, it could have easily been cut out, and then you would have never known his name anyways in the episode. How can you sue for your for your last name, though? You'd have to be the only person on Earth with that last name. You say, oh, no, it's not after him. That's just a common last name. Yeah, I imagine it's more of a nuisance lawsuit just to get the network to give you, like, 10 grand to make to just go away. Well, think about it. If you're Kenny Kramer and you are the neighbor of the creator of the show, it's a pretty easy thing to go. This isn't a coincidence. This guy acts just like me. Yeah, it's based on me, clearly. And this is our weird uh, wrestling reference here. The other thing we'd know Michael Richards from would be Problem Child, the movie where he stars with the Texas Tornado, Carrie Von Erich. Oh, and he has the bow tie and he's the bow tie killer. Bow tie killer. You'd also, you'd also know him from his racist rant. I mean, I try not to. I usually just think of the great comedy film Trial and Error from like 1999 or whatever. Oh, God, yeah. When he did, that was his thing after uh, Seinfeld. Oh, he's also famous, too, for he's the guy on Fridays who gets up, grabs the cue cards, and then throws them at Andy Kaufman. Yes, and he was on Fridays with Larry David. With Larry, yeah. You know, so they did work together before. And he was show. also in the movie Friday with Ice Cube. Um, I don't recall no. that scene. <laughs> I don't know if that would have went over well for him. So to go back, Jerry continues to be upset about the game being ruined, and Kessler apologizes because he thought he had already known, and then follows up by pulling two pieces of bread out of his bathrobe and asking Jerry if he has any meat. I love the idea of only having bread and going to your friend's house to fill out the sandwich. That's fucking amazing. To put the bread in your pocket, to me, is almost weirder than the asking for meat part. (laughs) To then have to pull the pieces out. It's supposed to be gross and sloppy, but that sandwich made me so hungry. <laughs> like once he makes it, I was like, yeah. oh. It's just like giant pieces of roast beef hanging yeah. out. And so how it looks appetizing, yeah. Because Jerry's like, I don't know, go hunt. <laughs> and then you see Kessler walk over to the fridge. And the way that he's like in the fridge, where he's like basically from the waist to his head inside the fridge completely without bending his knees, I thought was a really funny visual. I mean, he's such a great physical comedian that he just walks funny he moves funny but i kind of like again it's tough to not jump ahead too much i kind of like this version of him that was a little dulled down it's pre-flanderized yeah because it was just a little bit more of a a human you might encounter like a strange guy you'd encounter but not a cartoon character he came off like he gave off creepy vibes a little bit 
any guy who just shows up in a bathrobe with bread in his pockets. Yeah, that's a little creepy. Well, so it's I your next door it. neighbor, though, who always comes in and out. Yeah, but I mean, just his appearance, not not so much the bathrobe, but he <laughs> just looked. meat. <laughs> yeah, I got some meat for you right here. <laughs> no, his just overall appearance, like he has like a five o'clock shadow, like he just looks dirtier and, and more gritty. Yeah, he doesn't have the signature haircut yet either. But I, but again, I like all that in comparison. To be completely honest, I also think the five o'clock shadow at that point was like, wait, Gordo, who are you talking about? Kessler. Fuck, I tried. Good for <laughs> <laughs> it by five o'clock shadow. <laughs> but like, you think of like the whole George Michael look and everything, right? Like, I mean, like me personally, I shave like twice a week, so I'm usually in between some level of stubble. You guys all have beards. You don't remember what it's like to have five o'clock. I shave shadow. like twice a year. Yeah, so it's different. And I like that. Kessler's like, you know, I almost went to that game. Jerry's like, you haven't left the building in 10 years. He's like, yeah. <laughs> just like the way he like, <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> There's a crazy scene later, which I will touch on it, but re- remind me later on about that he hasn't left the house. There's a big glaring omission there. All right. So he then joins Jerry on the couch uh, while the game's playing and they're both just eating. Jerry's eating a bowl of cereal and Kessler picks up the magazine from the table and just starts to rip out an article that he wants. And when he realizes that Jerry's not done with the magazine, he, like, tries to, like, lick it as if he could, like, glue it back in somehow with by putting a spit on it. He's ripping such a small piece, though, that at first I thought it was, like, oh, is he taking out, like, the cologne ads? You know, he used to have, like, that you can smell the cologne and, like, rub it on you. Yeah. At that point, when you'd be like, just take the magazine. Yeah, you can have it. <laughs> I also think, too, that maybe that's what he thinks is going to happen, right? Like, you do something like that to facilitate them just saying, fuck it, take it. And then Kessler's like, oh, I thought I wasn't even allowed here this weekend, you know, and asked Jerry about his, you know, plans for the weekend. But I was thinking, as soon as he said that, well, then why are you here? Because you thought you weren't allowed over for the weekend and you still barged in with bread in your pockets. Well, she's not there yet. This is Friday night, I'm gathering. I can't stand that name because I know the other name. And this makes me think of Stifler. (laughs) Oh, God, Stifler. Jerry tells him, oh, you know what? I, I misread the situation. Nothing's happening this weekend anymore. But as they're having the conversation, the phone rings and it's Laura. And I like when he picks up, Kessler's like, oh, let me talk to her. Let me talk to her. Because <laughs> he was explaining earlier that he's before the phone even <laughs> rang that he should talk to her. He does like a great move here too, where he like hits the phone up into his hand. Yeah, that yeah. was cool. No, that was, um, that was later. That's when the phone rings later on when. Oh, fuck. You're right. Yeah. Either way. Very cool phone move. Cool move. I had it noted. I'm like, why don't I could have sworn I wrote that down? He does that a lot on the show. Yeah. Or does he? Yeah. That's that's a reason to miss landline phones right there. I was just going to say the same thing. I've honestly thought about getting one because you can get the phone lines now for like nothing. I would love to just have a phone out. You should get a Garfield phone. I do love a good Garfield phone. I get a nice duck phone. Well, I want to I want to dissect this real quick. So. Again, so Laura calls. Now, we've established it's 1 in the morning, right? So she calls at 1 in the morning, asks for Jerry to pick her up from the airport, and if she can stay over. Like, this girl's a mess, by the way. You have plans to fly from the Midwest to the East Coast, and you have no means of transportation or anywhere to stay yet? Uh, I just think it's... I think the part of this that makes sense to me, though, is that she knows Jerry will be awake because he's a comedian, right? He works. And he's in New York, right, where bars are open until fucking 4 a.m. Like, so if you're out working at a bar, like you're a night owl lifestyle, right? You're probably sleeping during the day a lot and up at one in the morning. Oh, that's fair. But I just think like, 
from her perspective, just the idea of calling someone at that time to be like, oh, by the way, tomorrow, can you pick me up and can I stay over? That is scrambling and that is asking a lot. Like, you could at least be like, can I have your address and I'll take a cab. Having someone drive you in Manhattan traffic to the airport and back. Yeah, because he needs George to give him a ride anyway. It's not even like he can pick her up. Yeah. So she should be like, oh, it's inconvenient. Don't worry about it. Weird all around. We're also glossing over the fact that they don't know each other that well. From his previous interaction, they only met like a night at a bar that they didn't do anything physical with. Yeah. And he doesn't even have her contact information, so I'm not led to believe that they've had many conversations before this. Did they have Star 6ix9ine back then? Uh, I don't know yet. So now the next scene is the following day, and Jerry and George are looking up like a roll-up mattress of some sort for the visit. What was that? like? Those are called something. I can't remember the exact word for it. It's like for like a pull-out bed or something, right? It's like, because it's a very thin mattress. No, it's like, they were like these, no, that's not a trundle. Isn't a trundle bed the bed that comes out from yeah, under? Yeah, it comes the, out from under a bed yeah. as a trundle, but... Oh, maybe it's called the grundle. Well, I heard you say trundle and was like, there's a 99 to 1% <laughs> chance he will say grundle. Yeah. God damn No, it. those, those roll-up beds. Fuck. Cots? I'm gonna look it up. No, it's not a cot either. <laughs> I will say, though, when he's like, you're bringing an extra bed, why don't you just bring in an extra guy? I forgot about that joke. Laughed that so hard at that. great line. Favorite yeah. line of the entire episode. I also feel like if you're from a certain, like, even if it wasn't you, you know somebody, the whole thing, where he's like, if this is my dad doing this, you'd have to have a cigarette at the whole time, where I was like, that's, that was very relatable. George wants, like, a recap of the entire conversation that Jerry had with her, and he explains that she told him that she couldn't find a decent hotel room and asked if she could stay. Called a Murphy bed. A Murphy bed? No, a Murphy bed's what comes out of the wall. Yeah, a Murphy bed folds into the wall. I looked it up and said that, but... We're, we're dedicating too much time trying to figure out what kind of weird mattresses. I think Ferg is just thinking it's called something, but it's not. It's just rolled up mattress. <laughs> yeah. But George explains that this is New York City. There's 11 million decent hotel rooms here, and that this is a signal. I mean, he's right. Yeah. Waving a handkerchief around, too, by the way. <laughs> like, do it, he's getting very animated again. But, like, yeah, New York is one of the... Like, there's certain cities in this country that you... You're not going to end up in like a planes, trains, and automobiles scenario where they're like, we couldn't find a hotel room. Like in New York City, there's never going to be a time where you can't get a halfway decent hotel room. You have to pay a bunch of money for it, but you can get a bed. And all these years later, like prices are a lot different. Back then, it wasn't so astronomical to find a room. Kevin McAllister had no problem finding a room. Well, he used his parents' credit card. Well, he was the father. (laughs) Credit card? Nope. (laughs) You've got it. He even got to meet Donald Trump. <laughs> Man, what a lucky boy he was. Have a nice die. <laughs> <laughs> so the door opens and a dog runs in and jumps on George, pushing him over onto the couch. And behind the dog is Kessler, so we can assume that it's his dog. It is Kessler's dog? And this is the scene that's crazy to me. It's like, you haven't left the building in 10 years. He's like, yeah. It's like, who's walking that dog? Where is that dog going to the bathroom? And that's a bigger dog. That's a dog that like needs to go for walks. He just lets it out. <laughs> and it comes just back. roaming New York City. He kills Kevin McAllister. <laughs> <laughs> when he sees the mattress, he's like, is this for the girl that's staying over? Why are you even giving her an option? <laughs> so like, and I want to say, I kind of, to an extent, I agree. Not in the way that you should force her to share your bed with you, but you could easily offer her your bed, right? And say, you know what? I'll crash on the couch. Don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah. Where's his bed? In the bedroom. In the next room. There is no bedroom in this set. It goes right to the bathroom. There's no bedroom. 
the set is weird too because the rooms change a lot as the show goes on. Like the uh, layout of this room is way different. Like his apartment looks way different after this. We also have the like television perspective where we're only seeing it shot from one side, as if that there's nothing beyond the TV. Like there could be a room back there too. True. Well, also too to your point, Joe. The kitchen doesn't it have like a divider in it? Once they kick into the regular show. Yeah, it's basically like a bar. Yeah, and this is just open. Yeah, this changes the bathroom position moves. Like, over where the bathroom is now, later on, it's where his, like, computer and everything is, and his, like, videotapes or whatever. And then you can see the bathroom down the hallway. And then you see his bedroom a number of times, but you never see anybody walk directly into it. Do you think his intention was to offer her the spare mattress or his mattress? His mattress. mattress. I think he was going to sleep on the spare. That's like the, that's the, that's what you would do, right? That's what I would, I would assume too. Gordo, you went the other way though? Yeah, fuck it. You're staying at my house. Yeah, like if you stayed over, Gordo, or any of you guys, and you're like, hey, can I crash at your house? Yeah, you're not getting my bed. I would expect to sleep in your bed, Joe. I'm snuggling with (laughs) you, Joe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, if you wanted to snuggle, obviously you're in, but like I wouldn't, you know, but like if your parents, Found themselves weirdly having to stay over. You'd be like, take my bed or whatever, right? If it was like a parent. No. No. Really? Yeah, really. Oh, no, I'd give up my bed if it was for a parent. Yeah, that's yeah. It. I would. If there were like, your parents come over, you're like, no. You yeah, if it was like that bed. or the couch for my mom, obviously she can have the bed. Yeah, that's what I mean. To be fair, I have a blow-up mattress. I'm telling guests. your mom you said this, by the way, though, Gordon. I don't care. You can do, you're never going to see my mother. <laughs> I will drive. I know where she works. I will, dr- I will go down there. <laughs> well, why don't you come down and say hi to us? It's actually way funnier if I just ignore all of you and go tattle on you to your mom and go home. Touche, that would be funny. Michael said I could sleep on his blow-up mattress, but it was in the shape of a woman. He also said something about a baloney pony. <laughs> <laughs> He's also never seen Top Gun. <laughs> Anyways, Jerry notices that he never cleaned the bathroom, and despite George trying to convince him that that's a good thing, he heads in anyways, kind of leaving George and Kessler alone in the living room. And this leads to just like a really awkward conversation between the two, where Kessler's asking George about real estate and if he handles any commercial units. You can really tell how off-put George is by him the entire time. Yeah, they're, they're not friends. He's Jerry's friend, and Kessler is Jerry's friend, but they are like mild acquaintances at best. They just see each other sometimes. This also plays to that kind of creepy vibe that Kessler gives off. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely off-put by him, right? Because he definitely is creepy. Because it was like one of those, you're never going to need a big commercial unit. (laughs) So why are you even asking me this question? Maybe it's just hyperbole when he says you haven't left in 10 years. Saying, like, you don't have a social life. Yeah, I don't think it means, like, he's Quasimodo or anything. But, yeah, he probably leaves to, like, do odds and ends. But I think... What he meant was like, yeah, socially, you probably don't go out and do things. I don't know. He plays this character Kessler so well that you it's up to debate, I think. There's definitely like an air of mystery that surrounds him, right? So either one could be believable. Yeah. I mean, they do such a good job, too, if you follow this show, right? Where he obviously never works. You never see him at work. And then by like seven seasons in, you find out that he had a job, but he's been on strike for 15 years. Like all this insane stuff, they end up like writing around it to make it like his story flesh out. And then the scene just kind of ends with George telling Jerry that they need to go and that he's going to be on stage in 20 minutes. So it cuts right to him doing stand up again. And I will say, in fairness, he's wearing the same thing that he was wearing when he left the house for the stand up scene. Is this shirt red leather, by the way? I think the later one, I think this one wasn't, I, cause, um, 
this is more like a regular button-up, like reddish shirt, and I think the final stand-up. He's not wearing... It's not all the same stand-up routine, it looks like. He's wearing different clothes throughout. The red leather shirt was off-putting. He looked like he was in the romantics. Yeah. What I was saying is I always thought that the stand-ups were meant to just be transition things, but it's like actually in this episode, he's going to the actual... This time, specifically, he was, yeah. They do a good job of keeping this show in a tight timeline. Like, you feel like you're just doing three solid days or whatever. Like, I, I want to go back now and watch other episodes and see if his clothes are matching. Yeah, I don't think a lot of times it does. I, th- I think this one was shot just so different, but I'd have to go back and check, too. Especially where we talked about this off-air. I don't think they cut to this as much as they do typically. So most episodes, you wouldn't even have, like, a mid-episode stand-up. Yeah, it's usually beginning and end. Every once in a while, there was one in the middle. Four is, yeah, I don't remember any other one being four, though. Yeah, it was a big chunk, just a lot of it for this one episode. And then, like, in this instance, we get about, like, another two minutes more of stand-up. The first bit's about the pressures of the dating world and how you need to have, like, your bathroom ready if a girl comes over. And he says that women need equipment that we don't have. And he gets into, like, a long routine about cotton balls, and he mentions how, like, women need them, and he's never needed one in his life or doesn't even know what they're for or never bought them. And I can say, I mean, like, for me at least, same. Is that, I always just assume it's for makeup. That's what I was going to say. I assume it's for makeup. I use uh, Q-tips, but not cotton balls. Yeah, I've never used, like, a cotton ball to, like, put, like, ointment on or to wrap with a bandage. Or you never like used that. it to, like, soak up blood if you pop a big old zit? No, I just grab some, like, toilet paper. I use cotton balls occasionally when I get earaches. Who's cotton? <laughs> <laughs> so wait hold on in in, uh, jokes aside if you have an earache you just shove a cotton ball in your ear no 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 i use the uh (laughs) when you get your gunky ear yeah (laughs) when i get my my squishy ear gordo have you ever seen mothballs yes how'd you get their little legs open (laughs) (laughs) i use it to drain my ear juice okay (laughs) oh boy so uh, he also says that a date is a job interview, and he says that it lasts all night. The only difference between a date and a job interview is that not many job interviews end with a chance that you'll get naked at the end. I do want to say, like, first dates in general are a big lie, and there's too many rules. And I kind of feel like if people were more honest on first dates, you wouldn't be wasting so much time with people. Agreed. I never used, uh, like, internet dating. Like, it's, it happened after I was done with dating or whatever. but. I feel like people give a perception that's not necessarily 100% them on those sites, which I think perpetuates the issue of it being a lie, right? Like, you put your best self forward, not your most honest well, self, Well, right? the internet, as far as dating apps, sure, right? You're only going to use the best-looking photos of you, and you're only going to mention certain things. But I think even just without that, when you're on a first date with someone, you put your best foot forward. It really is like a job interview. Yeah, I agree. You omit certain things, and you don't disclose everything, and... Because you don't want to come on too strong on a first date and give them your life story. But maybe if we did cut to the chase a little bit more, we wouldn't waste time. Because the goal is to be on your best behavior for a first date so you can get the second date. But if ultimately it's not going to work out anyways, and you know that this isn't like, as soon as I tell her this, this, and this, it's not going to work. Then why are we even going for the second date? Does that happen a lot? Do you end up on, I'm asking everybody here who's done it before, you end up on second dates you don't want to be on because you feel pressured to say no? 
No. No. Not the second date, no. Not necessarily. You know on the first date if she sucked. <laughs> they know if you suck. Yeah. I don't know, but but I'm saying that's why people are trying to hide things. You would know if they suck, Berg. Uh, 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 uh. What are you, six? <laughs> <laughs> I can't get over just Gordo just consistently getting trashed <laughs> for 100 episodes. Like, it is nonsense. He can't say anything without <laughs> just immediately getting attacked. I don't know what it is. I do it too, but... Uh, well, your mothballs joke was iffy. Gordo's consistent but humor. But that was for Gordo. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it was his level. <laughs> exactly. That was that was pushed towards him. But no, I don't know. I think dating, I mean, I just agree with the job interview aspect of it because I think that's how people treat first dates. You're not totally yourself or you don't feel like you can be totally yourself. Maybe if you meet that right person, then maybe you are. But I think a lot of times we, I don't know, you just behave a little bit different. I think it matters how much you've talked before the first date. If you've been good conversing call, yeah. for a while. Like a blind date must be a total nightmare. Has anybody ever gone on a blind date? No. I never have, no. What's the parameters of a blind date? Like you just you you would have to they get can't set see. up, right? You were, yeah, you were set up they and you haven't talked see. to <laughs> <laughs> Oh fuck you for took me a second. Like somebody being like, Here, I have this friend, like you have no contact but until you meet them? No. Yeah. That's at the very least, in early pre-smartphone days, I would at least know what they looked like. Like a picture or something. I'll say this. I don't have the self-esteem to do that. But Agreed, that, like, yeah. Oh, oh for sure, yeah. <laughs> Nobody is saying, given the circumstances, that they would feel confident in themselves for that. Like, this girl's going to show up and be like, holy shit, I hit the jackpot. <laughs> like, no one thinks that. It's even worse now, too. But like, what do you do? It's like, well, I'm uh, middle-aged and I host a podcast. Like, okay, next. See you later, bud. Don't want to talk to you. <laughs> That's when she's like, well, at least I'll get a free dinner. <laughs> I get a free Psych. dinner and this guy's going to subscribe me to his podcast on my phone when I'm in the bathroom. That's why you hide the QR code on the menu. Mm. That's how you impress them. <laughs> oh, what's that? Is that a podcast about sitcoms? That's a weird post-pandemic thing now where you go to a restaurant and there's just a QR code on the table. You're like, I hate that. Fuck, I don't like this. It's yeah. based out in a lot of places, but it still exists a little bit. I totally get it for COVID. Yeah. But it, it doesn't need to stay, I don't think. I don't mind it. It makes a lot of sense from the restaurant's perspective because if a menu is changing, instead of having to reprint menus, you can just update the website. I'll give you yeah. that. The thing that's the worst is it, I think it's Pizzeria Una does it, maybe some other places where they're like, hey, do you want another beer? Do you want to order some more food? Just do it on this little gimmick on the table and it'll get it for you. Be like, oh, I'm a waiter now too? I hate it. I, it's, why is this my job now too? I know you don't live around here, but you guys, there is a revolving sushi bar in Watertown. I want, Ooh. I've seen this. I wanted to go to it. Yeah. My wife and I went to it and you literally, it comes on conveyor belts. And you grab the sushi and it knows what you what you took. But if you order a drink, a little robot comes and does like a dance and gives you your drink. Well, I will gladly go whenever you guys want to go. So let me know. Yeah, I don't even like sushi, but I do want to see it. Yeah. Well, you guys can go and get like the green tea ice cream they inevitably have. I'm sure they have like like vegetarian sushi and stuff. I like the stuff with like fruit and veggies in it. They had a Wagyu uh, sushi. Well, moving along, we'll make dinner plans later. I'd go, but I die. <laughs> yeah, Joe can't eat that. 
You wouldn't go even if you wouldn't die. <laughs> well, I don't want to be around all that fish that'll kill me. So we cut to the airport and just seeing it, the idea of being behind security modern day without a ticket yeah. is so weird to me. Like, yeah. you can't do that anymore. Now, Jay, you currently work in the airport and I know that I do. everyone here but me, I think, has at one point. But is it common to have me. the... Okay, I thought you... Yeah, I wasn't sure. Ferg worked like for a car rental place attached to the airport, but not oh, with Oh, yeah. But now, is it common to have the plane parked where its nose is basically touching the glass? That's of a- normal. Yeah, yeah, I mean, not, yeah. not like as close as you see in the picture, but for the most part, yeah. Okay, because that was like terrifyingly close to me. That was too close. It should be like probably like 100 feet back or something like, like you that. You wouldn't but. be trusting the person taxiing that to not crash into the window if you were that close. That happened recently. There's a video about, of it. There's Yeah, mis- mistakes are made. So typically, not to get into it too much, there's either an automated thing that will show them when to stop, or if that's not working, someone like myself will guide it in. To have it that close to the wall, you wouldn't be able to guide it in because you'd be out of his sight range before... Yeah, the cockpit itself is like 30 feet high. Like, you wouldn't, if right. you're that close, you can't see a human. Exactly. So it wouldn't be that close, but it is closer than you'd think. I remember part of my job when I worked at the airport was I would have to get documents directly off of the plane, right? And so I would have to walk up the exterior stairs on the jet bridge. And sometimes I couldn't get in until somebody got me, like, let me in that door. And I would have to stand on the top of the jet bridge while the plane pulled in. And these are, like, international, like, triple sevens with the two engines. And so I'm just watching these engines literally 15 feet from me pulling in. I'm like, well, if somebody could open the door right now, that'd be fantastic because this is terrifying and I don't want to be here anymore. But yeah, they get they get right there, yeah. Jerry's there, and he's like, wouldn't it be great if you could ask women what they're thinking? <laughs> and he's still not sure what Laura's intentions are for this trip as she's about to land. And George is telling him, you know, you'll know everything as soon as she steps off the plane because it's all in the greeting. And they go over all these different cues to look out for, like whether or not she puts her bags down first, whether their contact is there, you know, if there's a hug. They talk about the hand sandwich where they're basically layering hands on top of one another. Oh, he said hand sandwich. Yes, not does she give you a ham sandwich. I thought he said, yes, the ham sandwich, which made sense because you're making a sandwich still, but hand sandwich does make way more sense. (laughs) As they're having the conversation, Laura comes out of the jet bridge and spots Jerry. So she runs up behind him and covers his eyes and says, guess who? And then like spins around to his front and like grabs his hands and they're just. They're just like shaking the hands while they're grasped in the air. And like Jerry's looking at George to be like, what does this mean? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> Nothing they discussed happened at all. So they had no idea how to read it. And I do like that they left. They made it something very ambiguous, like at this point to like not indicate anything moving forward. So put yourself in Jerry's shoes. What would you think at that point? What am I doing in these white sneakers? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at this, I. I wouldn't have picked this girl up from the airport. (laughs) Like, I don't, I've met her once a while ago, and now she wants me to pick her up from the airport. I don't think I would have gotten that far. But if I did make it that far, I think it's just ambiguous enough that I would be just as confused. Honestly, why doesn't he just, like, be more forthcoming with her? Because he has nothing to lose. If he's, like, too forward and fucks it up, she's this long-distance person. Yeah. Well, he seemed to really like her. And this version of Jerry in this episode is a lot 
kinder with women than we see as that character evolved. Yeah, but even if it worked out, she doesn't live there. So it's not like they were going to fall in love and have this like storybook relationship. But it kind of feels like that's where his brain was. Like he thought it could be something. Whether or not that was like logistically possible, but it seemed like that's kind of what he was thinking. So I think like that weird handshaking move, I don't know. He could still think something's there. I wouldn't necessarily rule anything out, but it's weird because I think it's almost even in a friendly way, it's not uncommon to run up and give someone a hug. So like a hug would have made sense. Yeah, I don't think a hug is indicative of I'm trying to sleep with you, yeah. Yeah, uh, it depends. It depends what kind of hug. A tight hug could do like a light hug. Awkward side hug. (laughs) Side hugs are different. Side hug, I think, is... Awkward side hugs are are telling. I would say like a a firm hug versus a light one doesn't necessarily have a sexual attachment. Oh, you know what's the worst? When you go for a hug and her hands are in the same placement, you're like, oh, uh." So you have to go down. And now, you, now you're doing like the mime in the mirror. Yeah, the Marceau, Marceau mime thing, yeah. And the scene just closes off basically with Jerry introducing the two and then they kind of grab her bags and they head off. Which takes us to the next scene where Jerry and Lard are now alone in Jerry's apartment. And I think all the conversation building to this scene did a good job because now we as the viewer are kind of looking for clues to figure out what her intentions are, right? Because none of us know for sure. She tricks me at this part. Because she's very seductive. Yeah, we're playing along. So now Jerry's showing her around a little bit, and eventually she makes her way to the couch. And as she sits, she removes her shoes and, like, the top button of her blouse. The top button is telling. And at that moment, you're like, oh, okay. And you can even kind of hear it from the audience, right? They're not doing, like, the full-on ooh or anything, but you can hear, like, just mumbling from the audience. Like, they're invested now. They want to know if something's about to happen. Yeah, it's more like a, oh, she might actually be interested. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, we finally figured it out. Yeah, I, it got me when she lowered the lights a little. I'm like, oh, now it's a romantic ambiance. Yes. It's also the 80s, too, so if you ask for wine, it's sexual somehow. That's like a weird 80s thing where it's like, do you have any wine? It's like, oh, they're going to fuck. <laughs> it's like, you're doing a restaurant, like, hey, have any wine? Be like, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, those Italians are fucking constantly. Well, I think, like, well, it's funny because he's just asking her if she wants anything. He offers her bread, water, salad dressing. When she asks for wine, he's like, oh, uh, yeah, I have some of that. And I kind of feel like if a girl was coming over, I would almost think the same, like, oh, what do I need if a girl wants to drink something? I, I probably need wine. I don't have any wine in my house. Wine's such a weird company thing where I don't drink wine personally, but I always, we always have a bottle of wine for company because company sometimes wants it. Nick, you're like the only one here that would have like wine in your house at any given time it's like spurts where like i'll drink a bunch of wine for a couple months and then i won't touch it for six months you know it's just but i'm it it is a good social drink you know like it goes with what you might be eating it's not like super high abv so you're not going to get smashed off of it you can have a few it's actually a lot higher abv than drinking like a beer or something like that i mean it depends on how much wine you drink because a wine drunk is a very specific drunk you're not drinking wine at the speed you drink a beer at usually like usually you're just it's like a sipping thing really a headache that's why i don't drink wine yeah yeah it'll give you a headache for sure well the funny thing is and i know it's an it's not a great comparison in that you know, they're all different kinds of wines and, you know, maybe you have to find the one you like. Cause you know, I've had that conversation with beer, but like every time I'm at a wedding, there's obviously like bottles of wine. So I'm like, Oh, you know, 
who knows? I haven't had wine in a while. Maybe I'll like it. And every time I'm like, no, I don't like wine. No, you're never going to like wedding wine because they have to buy 150 of those bottles and they're not buying good wine for that. You know, like you're getting the $4 bottle of wine that they're going to dress up and make you think is good. You're getting cold duck in that box of Frenzia. I used to drink wine a little more often. And for some reason, one of the best wines I ever had was like the cheapest, shittiest wine. It was the Sopranos wine. We got like two bottles of it as a joke and we were like, this is really good. And then we were like wine smashed and then super hung over the next morning. That may have actually been the last time I drank wine. Yeah. My favorite bottle of wine is 12 bucks. I think it's the same thing with like champagne. Like I don't, I don't like champagne. I anyway, hate champagne. I would love to try a sip of thousand dollar champagne to see if it's any different than $12 Corbell. Some Cristal. Remember the age of Cristal was like the thing for all music videos. What a waste to spend that much money on liquor and just pour it out. We had a wedding recently that me and Ferg were both in the wedding party. And while we we're all getting ready, because, you know, they have to do the photography and stuff, I had a bottle of Chris Jericho's, uh, a little bit of the bubbly that I opened up that we all shared. It wasn't terrible. I was going to say, Ferg doesn't like champagne stuff and he didn't hate it. And then the bottle of wine realized that the person getting married was the most paid attention to person at that party. So it immediately glommed itself <laughs> I onto knew him. You were going to try to <laughs> shoot <him. laughs> Suck it, Jericho. <laughs> Not to keep the wrestling conversation going, but going back to watching things live. Jay, you enjoyed plenty of pre-recorded Raw. Uh, yeah, I don't consider that. Uh, like, I like wrestling, and I, I'm a big, I am a big wrestling fan, but I don't consider that like live sporting the way I would consider like a, a Celtics game or something. I also feel like, I mean, this is a weird thing about wrestling Because fans. I consider that more performance. I guess that's, like, where my brain is at. So, like, I know that it, wrestling's scripted, so, like, it's the performance that's capturing me more. Yeah, than I guess the, it's no different than being shot in front of, like, a live studio audience. You know? You're still seeing that later. Yeah. I feel like wrestling also has, like a, like, a sitcom or TV show thing where, like, you can go back and watch a really good match from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, or whatever, and still enjoy it, but... There's not a ton of people who were like, what did you do last night? Like, oh, I watched a random 1987 Bruins game. Oh, yeah. There's people who do that, but you're right. It's not. It's not a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. ESPN Classics is not for me. So to get back into this, he asked her what her plans are for tomorrow. And she says she would love to do one of those five-hour boat rides around Manhattan. What a nightmare. Yeah, we can do that. And you can tell by his reaction. That he wants nothing to do with this, but he thinks he's about to get laid, so he's going to make that sacrifice. This is a clearly, I'm going to get laid, so I'll put up with this yeah. awful thing. But they probably got a really good view of the Trade Towers. And he tells her that he's really glad that she's there. And, you know, no sooner does he say that, the phone rings. And that's when he does, like, that weird punch move to, like, pick the phone up. Did we, did we talk about that she, at this point, she'd asked if she could stay another day, too? Or did we gloss over that? I don't think she has yet. No, she did actually. She says it, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, she says it after the lamp. She because she does all the sexy, seductive stuff, and then the like final. Yeah, because you guys, you guys jumped to a few different spots. So yeah, I was just kind of moving it. Yeah, she did ask if she could stay an additional day. So when the phone rings, Jerry picks up, and the call was for Laura, and he hands her the phone. And I mentioned this at the top of the episode. It felt weird the idea of giving somebody someone else's number but like i have to remind myself this is that this is a world with no cell phones so you do need to give someone a way to contact you in case of emergency yeah but she should have asked first that's not cool without permission yeah but even if you're with somebody and you should obviously trust anybody you're in a relationship with especially if you're gonna get married 
it's still a bit of a red flag. We're like, hey, I'm going to New York for two days. And I'm just going to stay with this random guy I that met. I met once. Yeah, like it's so weird. Well, because you can hear that in this conversation, because as she's talking, you can tell that the person who called is checking to see if she got there. Okay. And like what the arrangements for tomorrow are. And then she says like, oh, we're going to go on a boat ride tomorrow. And then you hear the, no, don't be silly. I'm not going to have this conversation. Look, I'll call you tomorrow. Okay. Bye. When that part of the conversation comes up, those her defending, like the, don't be silly. I'm not going to have this conversation. That's when I'm like, oh, okay. Now I figured out what's going on here. Like she is with somebody. Do you think it would have been too much or help the joke if before she hung up, she said, love you too. I thought about that, but not with the, this is a silly conversation. Well, maybe. I still feel like you'd say it. I like the reveal here because she turns to him and says like, never get engaged. And he's like, you're engaged. Like, I kind of like that being the official reveal that she has somebody. And this is good too, because it gives Jerry the says engaged three different times, three different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Because if he, if she ended the call with like, love you too. And you just saw him like looking off going like mouthing it, like love you too. Like it could have did that where he still questioned if it was a, a boyfriend or her mom. If this happened earlier in the episode, I think that could have worked because the rest of the episode, Kessler could say like, oh, well, maybe she called her mom. And George can say like, oh, he totally, she totally was calling her boyfriend. And you could play that dynamic up and just kind of leave it at that. But in this context, no, you got to go from one to the other. I don't think that works here. Well, it's kind of, I would have liked that too, I think, because I do feel like it's kind of abrupt that we go from this scene to the scene we go to, to pretty much the end of the episode. I wish this next scene was just him throwing her out the front door like jazz. (laughs) 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 But yeah, I mean, they continue to talk and she's just kind of going on and on about, you know, life being engaged. And he's just kind of, yeah, you're engaged. And, you know, it ends with her saying like, oh, you know, I can't wait for that boat ride tomorrow. And he's like, yeah, me too. I'll say this because I brought this up early too. I don't think you guys are all going to be on the same page with me, but I don't think she was being deliberately misleading. No, I don't. I don't think that was the case. Okay. But that doesn't mean she isn't shitty about it. You know what I mean? Just because she's ignorant to the fact she's being shitty doesn't mean she's not shitty. I agree. I, but I, I felt like people would perceive everything she was doing as intentional just to get a place to stay. And I don't think she was presenting that way on purpose. I think she's just being shitty for asking him to go on a five-hour boat ride around the city. <laughs> yeah. That sucks. I think she's being shitty for having him pick her up at the airport. I mean, everything is a little, like, you ask a close friend to pick up at the airport. You don't ask someone you just met to do it, who then has to ask their friend. Yeah, as soon as you find out there's another layer to it, like, he can't physically get you himself, like, that should be like the, oh, never mind, don't worry about it. Like, also, everybody just gets a cab at the airport in 1989, right? Like, that's what most people do. Yeah. Well, plus, isn't the airport hooked up to, like, the transit system? You're not coming from Michigan and then getting on the New York subway for the first time and trying to figure that out. That is very confusing. That's the most confusing subway ever. It can be, but, I mean... Unless you're going from, like, one line straight somewhere, maybe, but... From there, we cut back to him doing stand-up again, and we get, like, another solid two, maybe, plus minutes of stand-up. And this is what closes the episode out. And Jerry's talking about how hard women are to figure out and how men are simple. They want women. And he does a bit about how men will just honk at women to tell them that they like them because they have no other ideas. And it ends with, that's why I think men get frustrated when we see women reading articles like 
where to meet men, we're here. We're everywhere. We're honking our horns to serve you better. We're everywhere. Has the honking horn, you think, ever worked once? Yes. I'm sure at some point in history it has worked. in real life. I think if the class of person matches, if the if the type of person like and class of person who will honk at a girl finds a girl with that same level of dignity that will be um flattered by it, then sure. No, if you honk, if you honk at somebody and you're in a Hyundai, not the not if you honk at someone and you're in a fucking really nice car, like a like a Camaro, like you know the Camaro from Top Gun that Gordo was talking about? <laughs> um, you know, it might work. I drive a Hyundai, so I can't honk at girls? No. No, you shouldn't honk at girls ever, by the way. That's that's number one. Well, that's you can. It just won't work. Well, that's why they run away. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say, do I think it's ever worked, though? Yes. Oh, it's definitely worked at but least But, like, do once. I think it's, like, a girl that you'd want to end up with? Probably not. I so. mean, it's probably worked more often than the cat-calling guy at the uh, construction site. Have you ever witnessed someone being catcalled live, by the way? I haven't, yeah. no. I've seen it. I've been walking down. I was in a neighboring town, and I was walking on, like, a main road, and I saw a girl who was, like, an attractive girl walking down the street and literally honking and, like, a, like four guys in a car yelling at her. And it's like, well, like, what reaction do you think? you think she's going to, like, hop in the car and sleep with all four of you now because she's so turned on by you honking and screaming at her as she's walking down to get a coffee. Oh my <laughs> God, I'm getting honked at by the bang bros. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, um, that concludes the episode. There we go. Seinfeld, a little different. Um, we said the actual, the next episode doesn't come out for a year. So there are some changes. Uh, the tone of the show a bit different. I do hate that. I watched a version with the updated, more, Typical Seinfeld slap bass music. Um, I would have liked the original to get the full vibe of the show that was presented as is, but that is what it is. I guess you can't vote now since you didn't actually watch the first episode. Did you get the version with slap bass or did you get the original? the original? I will say I watched both because I watched on the drive and then watched it on the DVD and delightful both times. Again, we, we had the decision, are we going to end up doing the office or Seinfeld, I was happy either way. I will say, Nick, I agree with you that I was like, I can probably quote chapter and verse the entire pilot of The Office without even having to watch it. The Seinfeld one I've probably seen 25 times, though, too. And watching it, I was like, oh, I'll rewatch it again. Like, it's so easy. And we will inevitably do The Office one day. It's just picking a spot. You kind of want shows that warrant it. Like, here we are at episode 100. So we're doing Seinfeld. If you guys remember, it was going to be like episode six. It was my pick for the first go around and i changed it and and i remember it's funny because it, it comes into play now but i remember even then being like we're gonna be better we need to space out big shows we like we will be better at this are we perfect now no but i think we're better than we were episode six i think we were smart enough at that point to realize that like this is gonna only get smoother and there's a lot of kinks to work out or right at the beginning you know yeah, it's funny. And and again, we'll do more retrospective after this episode. We'll, we'll do a bonus for you guys. But it is funny to look back and think, you know, then think we can't use all the big shows right away because, you know, we're going to run out of TV almost. And it's just we can do this show for another 20 years. And there's so many shows that we're, you know, we'll be fine. I mean, just going through um, the waitress is a Claire. Uh, Claire's IMDb. She's on. She's in like 500 sitcoms that I was going through being like, oh, we have to cover that. And uh, Laura was in Just the Ten of Us and Growing Pains. You're like, man, there's so many good shows that are out there. 
Let's just dedicate the rest of the year to her. And we'll just do every sitcom that she appeared on. Do you think there's a point in an actor's career where they're like, okay, like we're probably not going to get the lead. So let's just fucking have yes. an episode on every show we can get on. Yes. Yeah, make decent money. Get that good SAG insurance. Yeah. I think they all hold on to that hope, right? That maybe one day the right project comes along, but it's not, you know, likely there's only so many big shows. There's only so many spots, but as long as you're getting consistent work, like you're living the dream, right? That's what you wanted to do. So yeah. one time, one of those shows is a hit and you take off and that's your big break. That's right. Kind of right. what happened to Leslie Nielsen. Uh, he was in a ton of shit. Uh, he was trying to be super serious and it wasn't until it wasn't until he finally like, you know, I'm going to stop doing the slapstick parts and everything. Yeah, police squad. Yeah. And police squad. It, it really took off. Wasn't it airplane? Airplane was his big break, but he, before he, he had done police squad before that, but it got canceled. But before that he's in like prom night, he's in like serious horror movies, but it was, it was that seriousness in airplane, not to dissect airplane. Maybe that'll be the Patreon minute by minute. But that's the one that kind of broke him out because he got to play the serious role, but it worked. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely two different characters between Frank Drebin and Airplane. Airplane Doctor. Before we move on to the Green Ladder cancel, I, I guess I do want to just touch on it a little bit where we've completed this episode. Knowing how different the show becomes versus this pilot, regardless of whether or not you want a Green Ladder cancel, any like thoughts on how different it is and how was watching this episode knowing the evolution? I feel like the bones are definitely there, right? Like, it feels like you know where the show's going. I mean, like, look, sometimes characters change. I mean, they change. Look at Fresh Prince, right, where they just change the mom outright. I mean, like, you can have people come and go. So I don't think the Elaine versus Claire thing is that big of a deal. I think you get enough of everybody. Like, George obviously becomes less. Well, all the characters change a bit. You know what I mean? Like I said, Jerry's way, Jerry towards women changes a bit. George dials it down a little bit. And Kramer... Kramer. Well, he's Kramer in the future. You can, uh, I'll give it, he does become Kramer moving forward. I don't know. Mm, that's dicey. We'll discuss. He's already down a pick. I feel bad. He's like when, <laughs> when a sports team gives up their first round pick for the next eight years to get a player. You got the pity pass. But yeah, in Kessler becoming Kramer and seeing how Kramer becomes such a different character, it's, it is that the bones of the show are there, but there's so much change from character to character and, even just kind of some of the way it's shot. It's still a show about nothing. It is. Well, for sure. This one definitely showcased that primitive idea of let's just see where the source material for the stand-up comes from. Definitely was like more driven home here where we had the, not just the opening and closing, but the two mid breaks with the stand-up. I love this show too, because we talked about it on the Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where like nothing has ever happened before where a show had a character that was based on one of the creators, and that show became so big that they then did another show about that creator whose life has now changed because the show got so big. Yeah. That you're now seeing basically that same character from a different point of view. I think that's such a weird, interesting thing that this spawned, and I'm so glad it did because I love Curb, and I don't think there's a bad episode of Seinfeld or a bad episode of Curb. Yeah, and for any of you that are new to us, we did Curb well, a month or two ago, so you can go back and listen to that episode. It's right there. Curb, like Seinfeld, too, also started as a like hour, hour and a half-ish long. Yeah, it wasn't like, I don't think the intention was to make it a show at first, because it was supposed to be a Larry David st- It was just special. like a special, yeah. But uh, yeah, I guess at this point, we might as well close it up. Nothing left to do but the Green Ladder cancel. I'll go in the order I'm seeing you in. Gordo, you first. I'm actually kind of torn 
on this. Like, I enjoyed the episode, but I did not like the stand-up breaking it up. Like, I felt like it took you out of the episode a little too much. And I, I like, I'm just very indifferent on this, sh- on this particular episode because I'm really trying to forget everything else that I know. And it's very hard with this show because I love the show. But this particular episode, I don't really like. So I'm going to, I'm going to lean towards cancel. I'm going to cancel it because I don't like this particular episode in the way it's shot and the way that it's set up. I just don't like it. No. And, and you know, before we even continue, Gordo, to defend you, this show, as iconic as it is, does have a reputation for not one of the greatest pilots. So you don't have to, I, I know, you know, you get a diehard fan base, so it's almost like fearful to cancel a big show, but I, mean, I think there is some understanding there. Frag, I'll move to you next. I'm with Gordo on um, the stand-up thing. Takes me out of it, and I already stated, I'm not a big fan of Jerry Seinfeld's stand-up, so to have so much extra of it is a big turnoff. I like a lot of the actual show, and all that took me out of it. I could see the bones of a good show in that. So it's enough that they do in the episode to make me say, you know what, I'd watch the next one had I been seeing it for the first time. If that trend continued, which I know it doesn't as much, I would stop watching. But based on just the pilot, I'm going to give it the green light, but it's on the line. Nick. Try as you might. You don't like me. You don't even have to have seen a lot of this show in syndication to know too much about it to forget about it. You cannot forget what you know about the rest of this show like we like to do for this. But doing it the best I can, I actually have, you know, almost opposite opinions of the stand up. I think that's an interesting concept. Something you hadn't seen done, and if you had, it's I don't remember what show would have done it before Seinfeld. I liked the the concept behind the stand up. I'll tell you what really sold this show for me though was George George, there's just something so intriguing about him in the show. He's not in it. I mean, he's in it for most of this episode, but like they obviously try to make Jerry the the focal point. Jerry doesn't do it for me at this point. He just seems like a dumbass. And it's just, I, I don't know. There's just nothing about Jerry that's super redeeming as a TV character at this point in the episode or in this in the show. But George does it for me. And I really liked George's character. I think enough for that to bring me back back the writing i think is kind of lazy it's not the most groundbreaking comedy to put into a television show it was all pretty boilerplate as far as something like this goes but i i don't know there's just uh, something about it that makes me want to keep coming back and most of that is through george i want to see what george does from somebody who's never seen the show before, like, this is the first time I've ever seen it, I do want to see more of George more than anything, and in, and enough to, you know, give this one the green light. Joe? Yeah, I'm pretty much, I'm pretty much with Nick on this one, with almost everything he said, and then to add to that, too, I do love the sort of setups, right? Like, you get the idea that Jerry's going to have a different girl every week, and that's going to be an interesting situation. It makes you think there's going to be interesting you know, guest stars on it. It's going to always lead to something weird. You do get the idea that George is going to neurotic himself out of his mind, like already. Right. I agree again with Nick. It's so hard to take yourself out of it 
just culturally knowing it, even if you haven't watched it. But it's such a warm blanket of a show for me and always has been. And this, even the pilot, which is sort of different than how the show goes, is just comforting and happy. And I want to keep watching it. It's hard. I mean, again, I watched the pilot twice today just to watch the other version. It had no issue with that. I think that stands for if you like a show enough to watch the same episode twice in one day, then it's probably a green light. So, yeah, um, I was very conflicted and I've been kind of stewing over it in even as you guys have been talking, kept thinking about it. And I will say there was a point where I was leaning towards canceling, but I think I'm going to flip it and go with the green light. I will say I did not like how much stand-up was in it. It was too much for that amount of episode, and I thought it just shifted the tone too much. And it did, it, it did take me out of it. But there was enough there that I'd be interested in seeing what the next episode was like. So I didn't love it, and it's like, kind of like Ferg said, it's like a soft green light, but I'm going to lean there too. Ironically, knowing some of the things about the future run of the show and trying to ignore that, there are things about this pilot that I know changed that I did like. Like I said, Kessler's character, regardless of whether Kessler becomes Kramer and whatever his name is, I kind of like the way he was portrayed here more than what he ends up becoming. I kind of liked a little bit more of a toned-down, stranger version than just an over-the-top, wacky guy. But yeah, I'm going to go ahead and give it the green light, although I was a little conflicted. That being said, that's four out of five, so congratulations to Seinfeld. You do get the green light from us. You continue on episode two. It would have been weird if Seinfeld didn't pass, right? No, but I mean, that's the concept of the show, right? Like, you never know. And, like, good shows can have bad pilots and vice versa. Sure. And that's... It very much had a chance of not passing. I was on the fence. Jay was yeah. on the fence. It could have went the other way. It could have went three to two canceled. The final graphic won't be, like, indicative of how close it was to yeah. being canceled, I guess. But, yeah, I mean, 100 episodes, guys. Congratulations to all of you the four people I'm speaking with for accomplishing this. Again, we'll get into that with a bonus episode that we'll be doing that comes out later the day that this show releases, and we'll have more information on our social medias for that. We had to close out, guys. Thank you all for listening. Keep keeping in touch with us. Go to s1e1pod.com. That's where you can find all the information for our social medias, everywhere to listen to us. Leave reviews. Send us messages. Tell us what shows you want to hear. We uh, really love the interaction. We talk to all of you guys. We've been doing a lot of fan picks, and that's really worked out for us. So keep it up. We really, um, it's really awesome for us. So thanks for listening. For those of you who are new, go back and listen to some old episodes. But that's all we have for you this week. We'll catch you again next week. Thank you. Goodbye. I think we got the best hand sandwich. (laughs) 